0: Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show, with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to
1: the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm
0: with Honky. With over 11,500 followers, Redcast Nation has now passed unincorporated Chalco to become the 16th largest city in Nebraska and watch out Beatrice you're next
1: down goes Chalco all right I'm um, also with Boomer
2: Well I would just like to announce that the Redcast will be uh, delaying the launch of our Olympic sports podcasts until about September 5th so look forward to those
1: all right hopefully that's as long of a delay as we can uh, can handle here I'm also with Redcast Rob.
3: Hey, guys, how are you doing tonight? Um, After listening to Travis Fisher's interview on Sports Nightly Radio, I believe that we are going to start a new movement across the country where it will no longer be called the secondary. It will now be called the primary.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh Well, that's a a mic drop right there, Rob. I I appreciate that. Um, We were going to have Mac on the show. He had some technical difficulties, so we'll have him back. Uh, next time, I'm sure. Um, honky, I, I got to give the compliments out to you and Mac. Uh, great interview with Brett from Pick Six Previews.
0: Yeah, uh, it's always fun to have Brett Sianci on, and the dude, he's just a walking encyclopedia of of knowledge and and everything. And so, and you know, what was kind of fun this year, as opposed to a year ago when we were kind of in the the off season of hype. Then this year, I mean, we were able to kind of go back and forth in a different way. I, you know, he was a little more down on Nebraska, and I was. You know, able to kind of go back and forth with him and say, hey, look, you know, can we stretch this the other way? Do you think Nebraska could be a little bit better than maybe where we're, we're putting at him? And, you know, he met us in the middle. He's like, yeah, I think they've maybe they've caught up with Iowa, but not Wisconsin. And, you know, it's hard to argue with that right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, it was it was a great show. I really enjoyed the listen. Um, I'm looking forward to our uh, Phil Still interview. You got that lined up yet, Honk?
0: Well, you know, since we've talked with Brett, we don't even need to talk with Phil, man. Brett's the dude. <gasps>
1: That's true. It's true. I have actually uh, ordered my Phil magazine, and I'm anxiously awaiting it. I believe it's in the mail right now. Mm. Um, so maybe someday we could uh, have uh, Brent and, and Phil on at the same time. But Dave,
0: we might have a couple of interesting uh, interviews coming up. But I, you know, I don't want to say anything yet. Ooh, sounds like some teases. That's right. Is that called the tease? I, I'm just. That's a teaser right there. There's For some foreshadowing. Yeah. I like that.
1: Yeah. Just yeah, leave us yeah. hanging there. <laughs> uh. Yeah, Pick 6 has got several weeks uh, of uh, time that I've been reading ahead of getting Phil Still. So Brent got a great job of getting that out early. I am looking forward to to Phil Phil Still. It's a tradition for me. Uh, I've got probably close to 15 or 20 of his magazines. And I have heard him on a lot of the local shows. And he has Nebraska 5th in the West. So if uh, you want to say people are jumping off the hype train, uh, there you go.
0: Sure, eh, that's mine, I don't care <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well, you know, uh, it's a tricky business doing college football preseason magazines When schedules are are changing And we do have uh, some Big Ten schedule changes uh, that were announced last week
4: Now it's time for the Redcast Soapbox segment
0: Get up, uh,
1: get up
4: On that soapbox Get up, get up on the soapbox. Hey, Redcast, soap, we all use it. It's a necessity. So why not use good soap Am I right? How about you give our friends at Hero Soap Company a try? It's handmade, and no chemicals, dyes, or fragrances are used. We're talking great smells like lavender, cedarwood and charcoal, lime and sea salt, and many more, like a peppermint plus cool soap that is infused with menthol to give you an intense freshness. Go to heroesoapcompany.com and shop for yourself. Subscribe. Yes, that's subscribe. Ha (laughs) ha ha for maximum savings. But listen, these great soap options may not even be the best part. Hero Soap is a veteran-owned company that is giving back in some incredible ways. For one, Hero Soap matches all subscription purchases by sending that equal amount of soap overseas to our troops. Here's a stupefying fact. Did you know that our troops are responsible for purchasing their own toiletries? That is some grade A bullshit. Well, Hero Soap is trying to fix that. And a portion of sales is donated back to charities that are focused on helping veterans and first responders. Charities like the Gary Sinise Foundation and Operation Finally Home. So you gotta ask yourself, What is your current soap doing? I'm guessing nothing as great as this. And get this, our buds over at Hero Soap Company are hooking you Redcasters up. Enter REDCAST in the discount code box at checkout, and you will save even more on your purchase. Treat your body to some amazing soaps, save some money with the REDCAST promo code, and support our troops and help our veterans all at the same time. There are so many wins here, I'm beginning to think this was made by the 94 and 95 Husker squads. HeroSoapCompany.com, RedCast discount code, subscribe, make it happen. Now back to the podcast as the RedCast gents step up to the Soapbox. Get up.
1: That's right, it's Soapbox time, uh, brought by the Hero Soap Company, um, and uh, Honky... You know, I, I fully believe we're going to have a football season. There's no doubt in my mind, uh, but it's going to be different. It seems like that way anyway. And uh, that was confirmed last week when we had uh, the Big Ten announced that they were going to a conference-only schedule. And um, there's been a lot of theories out there on how many games uh, we will see. Uh, maybe 10, maybe more if Bill Moose would get his way. Um, and there could be... Uh, A lot of different scenarios. Boomer, I'm sure you've uh, been paying close attention to this. Uh, Your thoughts on a Big Ten-only schedule for Nebraska here in 2020?
2: It's definitely going to be interesting, and I'm intrigued to see where the Big Ten goes with this. If they are going to just try the 10-game schedule, which seemed to be kind of what a lot of people were implying, or are they going to try the 12 games that Moose is shooting for? And that leads you to so many different variations and possibilities about how you actually handle this sort of schedule, If you go with the 10 games, what do you do? Do you just keep the the same schedule we had and just try to add one more more matchup between everybody and just try to make it work with what it is? you're going to have to do a lot of shuffling around because if you look at, I mean, how many teams had a conference game in week one? It was us and Purdue. Who else had an early... Didn't Iowa and Minnesota, I think, play in the first week? I mean, and you've got that, then you have these, you know, three-week gaps you're going to have to try to fill somehow. So there's going to have to be some shuffling, you know, clearly in that point because you can't go, you know three or four weeks without playing a game, I wouldn't think normally.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And,
2: I, you know, what what do you do? I mean, I, I like the idea of the 12-game schedule, if you could get it in, but, you know, we're asking to play 12 Power 5 games in a season. That's, you know, that's a lot from what we normally, you know, expect out of a team, and it's asking a lot of the players, I think, at that point. And how do you make that work? You know, some of the intriguing ideas I've heard is maybe do you just play home and homes against everybody in your division? I don't think that's a terrible idea. You know, that cuts down on that travel. You're seeing the same team multiple times. So in with the time of COVID, that's just a lot less variables you have to worry about when you can eliminate having to worry about all the other different teams that you might be playing in a conference. If you can play that same team twice, you know, you're testing, you know, where those teams are at, you know, where everybody is. Uh, and there might be some advantage to that route. I don't know. What do you guys think?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's intriguing to think about playing your Big Ten West foes uh, twice. And you definitely would get a, a really good sense of uh, a Big Ten West champion out of that scheduling. Um, and, that, and I think, Boomer, to your point, more football that we can figure out how to play, the better. And if that's the best scenario to get 10 or 12 games in, that's great. I would guess, and I'd like to hear your, or Rob's thought on this, is that I, I wouldn't be surprised. They're going to have to announce some... Scheduling here in the next week or two, I would imagine, just to start getting the logistics figured out. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they only tell us the first maybe four games. Right? Um, it feels like we heard from Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, and he kept on talking about flexibility as being the key, and uh, that's why I think the ten games is a popular theory because uh, you have thirteen or fourteen weeks to to do ten games. You have multiple bye weeks, then you can work in. If you only schedule your first four and you try to get some games in and then you're managing the the COVID uh, situation, if you need to have a bye in week five, it's out there. You need to uh, have different teams uh, kind of get on a different schedule. So you're filling in your TV slots throughout the entire season. It just seems like flexibility is going to be the
3: key. So my my thought on this whole process here is I'm looking at – Basically, the way that the two different uh, conferences or the two different divisions for the Big Ten are set up, I think it makes sense to me that you play six games against all of your inter-division competition. And then the four games can either be split up by like even if there's a rival, like an Iowa game where you do a home away with them and then three games against teams in uh, the East Division. Um, something along those lines something I, I, I almost want to call it the NFL model
1: so you're saying really in that scenario all you're doing is actually playing Iowa twice and everything else would stay the same potentially.
3: exactly yeah. And I think we talked about this a little bit too, allowing like red shirts, basically a free season. Hey, you can play as many games as you need based off of depth of roster, um, allowing these kids to play. You know, I don't know if I'm bringing this up too early in the conversation or not, And um, but we all did discuss it, but allowing these kids to play games um, that they normally wouldn't be allowed to play under normal NCAA rules, but because this is obviously a situation that is unprecedented. You know, still allowing them their red shirt season while giving them playing time in the in the event that they need to fill in at that position.
2: Yeah, I think uh,
3: kind of one of the things you talked about when it comes to that flexibility
2: is uh, you know the NCAA released some guidelines today how they would suggest schools handle, you know, the whole pandemic and COVID-19 thing.
1: Well, NCA is an authority on that, I'm
2: sure. Well, of course, yeah. Well, you know, they're all, it's the NCAA, they're all about the well-being of student-athletes. We know that to start with, so. But, you know, one of the things that stood out to me with their recommendations when it came out to this or their guidelines was that, uh, I and quoting this here is, uh, individuals with high-risk exposure to someone who tests positive must be quarantined for 14 days. This would include members of opposing teams after competition. And that's where I think you really need to try to have some kind of flexibility in your scheduling because, in all honesty, you know, when you've got 100 and some odd players and staff, the odds are probably going to be pretty good at some point during the season. You're going to have somebody test positive. So then you're going to have to have the opposing team set out for 14 days or quarantine themselves for 14 days. So it, there's going to be a lot of moving parts, I think, to any season if they if, when they do try to get something going. So I think it's just a prime example of it, and I'll be curious to see what we decide to do and i think rob might be onto something maybe just only announce a you know start to a few games and and see what happens
3: well, the worst part about being a big uh, a Nebraska fan through all this is that when they actually do qualify to win the national championship this year, everyone's going to want to put an asterisk next to it because it's Nebraska.
0: Yeah, co-worker Eric uh, in our mailbag asked us, will Texas A&M claim the 2020 conference championship if the season gets canceled? <laughs> well, I'll guarantee they that. Yes. They already have. Yep. Yeah, look, this is it's a one-off season. I mean, we all know that. And all hands are on deck. So I think anything from what you mentioned, Dave, about just scheduling four games and having flexibility all throughout, what Rob talked about with the red shirts and just allowing guys to play, look, everyone's going to be as flexible as it takes if it means that we get to play 8, 10, 12, whatever games get played, right? Boomer, you said it earlier, shuffling around. And and to use that card metaphor, um, everyone right now has shown their cards. We all know what people are going to do. Patriot League and Ivy League and JUCOs have shown their cards. They're done. They're not going to play, right? Well, there's not money in that for them. But those conferences where the money is there, the P5 specifically, um, they've shown their cards that they're going to play. We're going to do something. Um, short of, you know, something that we don't know yet happening that we're moving forward with the idea that we're going to play some football. And so I think, you know, how this all looks, Dave, you mentioned the next couple of weeks, we probably need to see what those first few weeks are going to look like just for the logistics of it. But it's kind of funny over the 4th of July week. And I took a family in the old truckster and we, we drove down to, to Kansas and went kind of through there. And the last day we went through Manhattan. And of course, you know, I, cause my wife asked me to, you know, see the stadium. So I drove oh, of her course. there. Yes.
1: Kathy's huge on stadiums.
0: But I drive her to the stadium, and then we, we we head home. And I almost forget. It was like an hour and 50 minutes, and I was home. And it got me thinking. I'm like, look, if there's a weekend that opens up, and it literally could be a seven-day notice thing, but a K-State that just falls under the schedule, or Iowa State, who their AD, Jamie Pollard, wrote a great thing. If anybody read that in the last couple of days, he talked about all the finances, and he talked about all the things that P5s are, are talking about why we need to have a season if Iowa State opened up for a weekend. However, I don't know how it's going to look, but I'm not here to dictate. I don't know any inside info that anyone else knows or doesn't know. I'm just saying, look, it's about flexibility and anything we can do to get games. And I can tell you Bill Moose wants to get 12, and I don't. I want Bill Moose to get 12.
1: You know, Honky, I think that's a really good point in the sense that maybe we do only get 10 games in this fall, right? You know, I mean – all the different reasons that that play into that. But uh, I I think we need to be creative about this. And there's uh, a lot of opportunities for for TV, and that could extend into the spring, right? I mean, imagine, let's say we play 10 games in the fall, and instead of having a a red-white game in the spring, why don't we go ahead and have uh, two more football games played? Why don't we play K-State and Iowa State in the spring? Right, you know, maybe things are different at that point, and uh, you know that would be an interesting scenario and, and probably beneficial for all schools. So
0: I don't know, maybe have like you know the equivalent of like a couple of spring game kind of scrimmages, not not games, but yeah. scrimmages against yeah. Iowa State and K State that you're selling tickets for, you're making money. I mean, my goodness, that's yeah. nothing different than volleyball playing Colorado State and McCook, or when they would play. You know, every spring they play a D one a team in a I don't know if it's non-sanctioned, but whatever it is, you know it's yeah. A, it that's right, though. You're correct. Yeah, I mean, whatever it takes. Again, this is a one-off year because of everything. I don't know if we're going to have bowl games. I'm not here to say we're not going to have them. I just look. I mean, the people that come out, the Pete Tamils or whoever, that are writing articles saying we're not going to play this and and we're not going to have championship games and we're not going to have this. I don't read any of that stuff because none of that, that. It's just garbage to me right now. We're in July. You may be right, or you just may be guessing. And all I know is there's a heavy interest right now at the PFI level, because we can look at the Stanfords that have cut 11 sports already. We know the value that football brings, not just to the people that are inside the athletic department. I mean, I'm talking when you don't have football, you're not going to have other sports. You're going to cut sports. You're going to, coaches go unemployed. Students go without uh, scholarships. What about the economics of you know Ann Arbor, Michigan, and Lincoln, Nebraska, and Tallahassee, Florida, and all those you know those bars and restaurants and hotels that have been hurting they're not going to be benefited by having no football right so anything we can do to get those things going well everything this conversation's been up to this point one off kind of thing flexibility and look it it's just it's going to look different but i'm also as much as i'm convinced it's going to look different i'm also convinced that it's going to happen it's just going to happen in a different way than what we've seen before
1: Hallelujah, Honky. Hallelujah. That is a soapbox, my friends. And now, Scarlet Colored Glasses. All right, guys. Let's put on our scarlet colored glasses here and talk all things Husker football. And, uh, Honky, I don't want to get on the hype train. I wish Mac was here. But, uh, you know, we do have some of the uh, Ward Eddie Up videos going on and, um, there was one particular running back that uh, had quite the video. Huh?
0: this is from Honky to Coach Duvall. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I needed every one of those videos. <laughs> if you have eighteen videos, send them every day. I don't care. We'll watch and retweet every one of them. Oh my goodness, War Daddy Up hashtag War Daddy Up. It is great to see dudes lifting weights again. Just it's just football. It just it's normalcy I mean come on I I'm being goofy about it guys but anything that seems normal that feels like any other offseason doesn't it feel great right now isn't it exactly what we need I mean we just spend a whole segment talking about you know are we gonna have 10 games 12 games some people think we're gonna play no games I don't care right now I just want anything that makes me feel like like it's a normal just normal anything right so that was great to see and when it comes to the actual physical condition that these guys are, I mean, yeah, we talked about Marvin Scott, and the dude looks like, you know, freaking Hulk, but then it's Cameron Juergens coming into his redshirt sophomore year. He's only three years, you know, not even three full years into the program. Didn't come here to be a center, and you look at him now, and somebody, I don't know who it was, somebody on Twitter had a photo of, of Juergens at like a rival's camp as a senior in high school, and then Juergens in that photo right after he got done doing that lift that, Duvall you know took the video yeah and you see the difference in how Juergens looks now it's like holy smokes this dude's put in the work and again this is all about the development you know hey Frost we've only won four and five games you know wow you know are we is it is it panic time no it's not they're developing players. Guys are getting bigger, faster, stronger. We've got a bunch of dudes that are coming off of redshirt years. We've got wide receivers that have size now. They're recruiting and all these things. I mean, the th- the right things are happening. I don't I don't question for one second at all the direction and the philosophy and the effort that these coaches are putting in. They're doing all the right things, and I think those videos are just one small part of showing, like, yes, Husker fans, your program's being taken care of.
1: And the players are putting in the effort, which is exactly what we want to see. I'm yep. glad that they're on campus, they're healthy, uh, and um, you know you want to see this ultimately result in, in wins next year. Um, but uh, they do look like they're putting in, in good work, and uh, you know the roster continues to evolve, right, Honky?
3: Yeah,
0: I mean, I mentioned briefly the, the receivers, and I was thinking about how different that wide receiver room is looking, and we've talked about this in previous years, but. To actually kind of put it onto paper, you know, in 2019, we get Chris Hickman moved over from tight end to wide receiver. Guy is 6'6", 215. This last year, we recruit Omar Manning, 6'4", 220. Xavier Betts, 6'2", 200. Levi Falku is the the South Dakota transfer, 6'2", 210. Those guys are all on the team right now. All of a sudden, we have some serious size, quite honestly, in the wide receiver room. Next year, 2021, we've already are bringing in Latrell Novell, six three, one ninety five, Sean Hardy, 6'3", 190. And I guess maybe that goes a little bit to the uh, roster management, Dave, since we've last talked. But in recruiting, uh, Latrell Novell, he came here on the 4th of July, uh, four-star commitment out of Houston. That means that we're starting to get guys from Texas in this class, California in this class, Florida, Georgia, Utah, and yet, We still have all those 500-mile radius guys, the Iowa kids, the Nebraska kids, South Dakota. It's the perfect mix, right? We're hitting all the big states. We're single, individually hitting a guy or two here or there. We're not trying to make a living out of one area. This isn't a Calabrasca movement. We're going to get guys from here and there. We're going to build pipelines where we can. We just got a walk-on today. Rob, do you know who the the running back walk-on was?
3: Yeah, I believe his name is Yaquez Yant, and he's a he's a running back. He's a graduate in 2020. He's out of Tallahassee, Florida. Um, he's a walk on, which he's a three star walk on, which to me really stood out. Um, mm-hmm. And if you're going to let me rant on here a little bit about this, go for it, buddy. <laughs> this is um, and, and 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 Dave's probably going to give me the hands in a few minutes, but, um, <laughs> but 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 what really blows my mind about this kid is that. Um, He's a three-star walk-in and he was receiving offers from like Mississippi, Southern Miss, Florida. And, you know, so these are sec teams and he decided to walk on at Nebraska as a three-star recruit. And the reason why he walked on, which, which says so much to me about like the culture that Frost is building is that a lot of schools were just sending, as he said, coaches to the school, a couple of coaches to his school. And one day, he looked up and Scott Frost was there along with Fisher, who was actually an alumni of the school, and it meant so much to him. I guess he lost his mom in 2015, um, you know, and he's just been focusing on football. He's a good student, he has just been kind of looking for the right fit, and he saw Nebraska as the best place for him to come and build a family. My God, if that does not scream the type of culture that you want for your football program, I don't know what else to tell you. Because if that's not something that you're looking for when you're looking for kids to come to your school and want to play for you, Mm -hmm. then you probably should look for another job.
0: I would agree. It's a great point, Rob. And I would tell you, I think from a recruiting standpoint, you know, they made contact with him as they were down in Florida recruiting another Husker player, Keyshawn Green, the linebacker that's in that same class. And what is that about? That's about recruiting being about relationships, right? And, you know, you look forward to the 2022 class and Dave, maybe a couple of times on the show, I've mentioned that in-state players, you know, we have some talent in Nebraska and, and they just need to be seen and recognized and everything. But Um, I have I'm not trying to downplay the fact that we have good talent in Nebraska particularly in these last couple classes but but the relationship side means something because as a coach comes to Nebraska I don't care where you're coming from Georgia or Colorado or wherever you're coming from but if you make a contact with a coach and you you say hey I'm recruiting this player and you may or may not get him but then that coach that you're recruiting says well, you may not get this kid, but guess what? We've got this sophomore who's really good, or we have this freshman who's really good. It starts to build relationships. That's how pipelines work, right? Well, right now in the 2022 class, Nebraska has three kids from basically Omaha that are in the top 247 of 240, you know, 24-7 sports. Um, Omaha Central Offense lineman Deshaun Woods came in at 125. Omaha Burke Linebacker Devon Jackson at 134. Uh, Council Bluffs Lewis Central Defense lineman Hunter Deo at 214. All three or four... Four-star prospects. Awesome. I don't give two hoots about all the star stuff. All I know is when you're recruiting those kids, then you know what? There's the next group that comes up, the, the, the year behind it and the year behind it. That's how pipelines start. The thing that I've never cared about at Nebraska is Calabrasca movements. I don't care about focusing on one spot. Even though we have coaches that know Georgia and Florida right now, I don't, I don't want us to live down in those areas. What I want us to do is we're a national recruiting team. And we're going to get kids out of different spots. Sometimes we're going to have hot spots, right? Dave, do you remember back in the late '90s? It was Hawaii for for no reason,
2: That's out right.
0: of the blue. Rayola and and Finodi and oh my gosh, you know they're all all Americans. Well, we also had Junior Tagoy and Tony Tata, right? Or or back in the the early '90s, it was. Bradenton Florida and Manty, because they're all going to be Tyrone Williams and and Tommy Frazier well Leslie Dennis and Justin Stevens not so great right you know in it was in the early 80s it was Camden New Jersey with the the Friars and the Rosiers I mean they come from everywhere you know we're not Nebraska's not a one-trick pony recruiting in one spot we're always going to be national you know that, that one year in like 2007 we hit a bunch of Arizona kids right I don't focus too much in one spot. And I think that's – anytime someone goes, Nebraska started getting bad when they got out of the Big 12 because they can't recruit Texas anymore, I'm like, oh, my God, we never recruit.
1: Yeah, no, that's one of the worst takes a national sports writer could I think ever people
0: have. think, like, we had 50% of our damn team was from Texas. And I'm like, give me a break. That's the laziest, stupidest take I've ever heard. Recruit Nebraska well and go national.
1: Another soapbox there by, by Honky really uh- – Good Husker history as well, actually. A fun little tidbit uh, to add on that. I think that was that was a great honk. To Rob's point of a walk-on from the East Coast, can anybody else name a really well-known walk-on running back from the East Coast that made his way to Nebraska? I am hip. I am hip. You're exact. Isaiah hip. Uh, walked on from the East Coast. Alright, well, you know, Boomer, I, you're probably enjoying some 4th of July fireworks when uh, Latrell Neville committed uh, on the 4th, or enjoying one of your Red casts on the Rocks. I think, I, if I remember right, you had a, a 4th of July themed uh, cocktail that was uh, pretty sweet. Uh, a few days later, then we get Ladarius Webb Jr., who uh, his father's an NFL vet. And uh, another a unique commit, um, you know, this coaching staff is willing to stick their neck out on guys they really feel are a good fit, even if they don't have a lot of other scholarship offers at the Power 5 level, and, and Webb fits that bill. Travis Fisher is doing some work down there. I would agree, Dave. Honky, <laughs> how would you like to talk about Ladarius Webb Jr.?
0: He's not the greatest color man in the league for nothing, dude. No, like- <laughs>
2: Unless you're like talking recruiting in 1902, I, I don't know why you're going to be with <laughs> yeah, that.
0: This, is, yeah. this isn't Guy Chamberlain, okay?
2: That's a bold strategy, Cotton.
0: It was. Let's see if it pays off for him. But yeah, I got nothing on this. By the way, Redcaster, sometimes we edit things out and stuff. We're not editing that out. That's good stuff. <laughs>
2: again I, I i don't commit recruits to muscle memory until they've played a season here and we see what they do we, we, we've we seen so many people come through and you yeah, the names come in and they're they're hyped up and we never hear from them and everyone just pretends we never heard of them before it's just let's get players in i trust the staff that they're recruiting the players they think they need and they're finding guys that fit the system let's give them a shot to do it yep. boomer
3: are you saying a rose is a rose by any other name
2: it is and it smells as sweet
0: Yeah, I mean, Boomer, God love you. Dave, I think you're absolutely right, though, in this case here where we're talking about that we don't need, I don't care if it's an in-state kid or if it's an out-of-state kid. We don't need other schools to offer a kid to validate whether we should offer him or not. Look, trust your own eyes as a coaching staff. If this kid deserves an offer, whether he's from Central City or from Mississippi, go and give the kid the scholarship. I've had too many issues in the past with staffs that somehow we need to wait until some other school comes in and offers a Nebraska kid before we feel we can offer him. Off of the kid if he's if he's offerable, and so that's the great thing about Webb there. And you know what? Here, here's the thing: how it's going to work with Webb. I have no reason to think he's going to decommit, right? But you know what's going to happen between now and, and signing day? Other schools are going to offer all of a sudden. All of a sudden, he's going to he's going to get the Ole Miss offer. He's going to get these other offers from SEC schools, and you know there's going to be fans, the recruitniks out there, are going to be all worried about: Is he going to decommit? The, the exact same fan that a week ago says, "Well, he doesn't even have another offer. Why did we even give him one?" They're gonna be the ones freaking out when other schools come in. Look, we have a staff that's confident in who they're offering. They can trust their eyes, they watch the film, they do their work, they do their due diligence. I have all the trust in the world. And I think I think that's awesome. And so, and also just I mean, for what it's worth, I love guys that come from football backgrounds. You know the dad played in the pros, right? I mean, there, there's some there's some value in that, isn't there, Dave? I mean, a guy that he's a football guy.
1: No, absolutely. There there could be a connection there between uh, Travis Fisher, who also played in the NFL, and his dad. So it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, Boomer, maybe something a little bit more in your wheelhouse is uh, the transfer market, and uh, we learned this week that uh, former USC quarterback JT Daniels has gotten an NCA waiver for immediate eligibility at Georgia. Um, so now suddenly Georgia, who, um, had lost a multi-year starter there in, uh, Jake Fromm, now has Wake Forest, uh, grad transfer, Jamie Newman and JT Daniels. Uh, how do you think that really, uh, plays out? I just, just from a, I, it seems like some of these schools always seem to get these, immediate eligibility waivers. It's weird how that happens. It's always
2: the Georgias and teams like that. It's never like the, you know, Western Kentuckys or things like that that ever <laughs> team to pull these, these, these weird waivers from the NCAA, but I'd probably guess Jamie Newman didn't expect to have, you know, some immediate competition like this with um, JT Daniels and I don't Kind of curious to see where Georgia goes with this when you've been handed a couple of decent quarterbacks, you know, drop in your lap. Where do you go with it? And then if you're either of those players, what do you do now? Especially if you're uh, Newman, what do you do?
1: Yeah, it's simple. If Newman wins, he's the grad transfer and he's one year and JT uh, has more eligibility left. But if Jamie Newman doesn't win that QB competition, he's in a tough spot and
0: uh, that's that's too bad. How do you think examples like this alter the future of, of the transfer portal because we've talked about this in a couple of shows the transfer portal is very new it's only been going on for a couple of years um, you know some guys have absolutely hit on it you know they've made the perfect move that the joe burrows of the world but there's other guys that haven't and there's always that belief that the grass is always greener on the other side right and here's a guy that you know Uh, what Newman he leaves you know Wake Forest and and he he goes to to Georgia and everything's great right because I'm going to be the starter because that's how the transfer portal works right I just transfer and I just start oh wait Georgia brings in another quarterback you can't do that right that's not fair I'm the only transfer portal guy right but that's that's what the transfer portals become right it's it's a weird kind of free agency and and I'm just curious how moments like this and there's going to be others examples like this too I mean it this isn't By itself. But, like, how does this change how people in the future do players start to slow down a bit on the transfer portal as they see examples like this?
3: I'm going to jump in real quick, too, because you just said something that it actually hit a nerve with me. And you said free agency. For college, that's not a term that should be used, there shouldn't be free agents in college. Um, that's just not something that should be available for players at all.
0: Dave asked it, I think the boomer there. the only difference between free agency and NFL and college right now is that free agency in the NFL, you know you can play right away. In college, it just seems hit and miss like, well, this guy gets to play and this guy
1: doesn't. It's been proposed and will likely happen here the next year or two where you get one transfer. Where you become uh, potentially you could become imme- immediately eligible with that transfer. I don't know if that all all those details have been worked out, but I mean it, it could happen. Will this evolve? Will be there be more caution by some players? Sure, absolutely. Uh, but there, you're always looking at the positive side, and you're also a competitor, so you're always thinking you're mm-hmm. going to win the job. Both those quarterbacks think they're going to win the job. One of them isn't. It's just how it works out. Yeah, we'll see.
0: It's funny. You always you look to other schools to find the guys that weren't winning the job there to come to your school and win the job there. I mean, it just yeah, that's the way the transfer part. If you were starting already, you're not leaving, right? But whatever. Yeah. Let's move on, Dave. Should we do a little mailbag?
1: I would love to open up the mailbag, honk. Let's do it.
0: Let's do it. Let's start with David McGee. Here's a show conversation for you. Most likely to be a Heisman finalist before their time at NU is up, and he gave a couple options here. You know. Adrian Martinez, Luke McCaffrey, Dedrick Mills, Wondell Robinson, Omar Manning, other or none. Right away, I'm going to eliminate one guy. As much as I, I love Dedrick Mills and I think the guy's going to be a great running back for us this season, I don't think he's winning the Heisman. So I think immediately I take him off that list. He's on the Doak Walker list, but I don't think he's going to win the Heisman.
2: No, I think you're fine with that. Yeah, it's it, it's tough to win the, the Heisman. Especially if you haven't had hype building up to it.
0: Yeah, if you're not on the preseason Heisman
2: list. And if you're not on that list already to start before the season begins, Mm -hmm. you have no chance
0: of winning it. So, Boomer, to that point, let me transition then, and let's re-ask that question with, we have Adrian Martinez, who's a junior. We have Luke McCaffrey, who's a redshirt freshman. Wondell Robinson, who's going to be a sophomore this year. And then we have Omar Manning. We haven't seen him play in a red and white suit yet, but we love that dude. He's a junior. And then we have Other or None. When you hear that, those options, what are you thinking?
1: Well, Boomer already mentioned uh, you know, the, the limited availability of winning the Heisman, and uh, the position that you play also has a big factor in it. You have two quarterbacks on that list, and they by far have the highest percentages of being in the Heisman conversation just due to that position, so... I'll start with two a.m. I, I I think Adrian could still be a Heisman uh, Trophy candidate before his career is done here, and he's got two more cracks at it. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not this year, but maybe maybe twenty twenty one. He uh, has has the hype established this year, has a chance to prove it uh, next year.
0: And that's a great point about the position itself. I mean, how many wide receivers you know have even won the Heisman?
1: True wide receiver would have been Tim Brown, and then you had Desmond Howard that moonlighted.
3: There's only two wide receivers to win the Heisman Trophy. Um, One is University of Chicago's Jay Berwanger in 1935, and the other is Notre Dame's Tim Brown in 1987. So Johnny Rogers has an issue with you there, and Jay Berwanger,
0: the first Heisman winner, he was from Dubuque, Iowa. You need guys like the the Charles Woodson's, too, that can do multiple things. But just in reality, wide receivers alone don't win it. I mean, I guess I'm going to knock Omar even off the list just because – it's just hard to be a Heisman, is that?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, first off, I just I would note uh, Jay Berwinger. He he wasn't even technically a wide receiver. That position didn't really exist back in the 30s. I, I honestly think his position was a halfback at the time, or maybe an end. I you know the yeah. receiver position is kind of a more modern modern position to start with, but. That notwithstanding, I, I would tend to agree with Dave. If you're going to place money on who is more likely to become a Heisman candidate, you have to go with positions, and that's going to be a quarterback. And like I said earlier, you have to have that preseason hype to even be considered for it. And Adrian Martinez is, is the person who does get on, on lists preseason. He's got talent. He's shown it. And he's shown he can attract that preseason sort of interest in, in such an award. I think he's the most likely, you know, with Luke, you know, you don't know how much time he's ever going to see or when is he going to play, when is he not, what position is he going to get. If you're a betting person, you always pick none because, you know, you you have a better chance of the field on that, but we're not going to do that here on this redcast. We're, we're we're a positive podcast, so we're going to say who's most likely for Nebraska and you'd have to go with Adrian.
0: To answer David's question though, We are absolutely uh, expecting somebody to win the Heisman out of that list.
3: (laughs) Oh, yeah. In the next few years, yeah. If we don't, we'll be upset. I'm going to say this with all my heart right now because, like, I am just – I've watched so many videos. I've watched so much YouTube, everything. Omar Manning is going to be a game changer for this program. I don't know how to explain it, but he is the kind of wide receiver – with his strength, his speed, his hands, everything that I feel is going to make a difference this season. If I am wrong, please come back, pull the tape, tell me how wrong I am. You can ridicule me, I will sit here, yeah. I will listen to every single moment that I talk and tell you right now that I was wrong. But that kid is going to be a game teacher. He is going to make Martinez a better quarterback, whether it be by the coverage that he is is taking on during games, whether it be by the catches he's making, everything. He is going to be so good. And if I am wrong, I am so sorry, and I will apologize right now. But I'm not wrong.
0: We're putting the wrong litmus test on any of these players by saying, are you the Heisman
3: or not? I don't disagree. I just love well, the kid.
0: My, my thing is Tommy Frazier didn't win the Heisman. I don't care if you win the Heisman. That doesn't matter to me. To your point, a guy like Omar Manning – Look, you can be a major contributor and a difference maker. And when we would play Illinois a year ago, and they were running the Tampa 2 defense uh, with Lovey Smith, and we didn't have size at receiver to get between safeties and linebackers, and we're getting small wide receivers killed across the middle, and to be able to give them targets that are six, four guys or to give them bets – You know, who's a 6'2 guy or have Chris Hickman out there now this year. I mean, that's the difference. And that goes back to our earlier talk about the size and how that room has changed. Let's move on. Husker Nut. He asked us a question about Dennis Dodd. Says Scott Frost is on the hot seat. He's an idiot, right? (laughs) Dave. That's great. (laughs) Dennis Dodd's an idiot, right? Well, he's, he's taking a lot of heat, uh,
1: for that take, especially from, from Nebraska. I don't know if he did it for clickbait or not, but it sure seemed like an easy take. Sure. I mean, you know, he's had two losing seasons. So you say, Oh, Nebraska fans expect more. But I mean, you take a moment to think about Frost being the native son and, uh, all the things that we're trying to do to, to change this program's course you would easily think it's not a five. So, especially the ranking. I mean, sure, to put him on the list, I guess, whatever. But to where he's at, I mean, do you really think Scott Frost would get fired here? Even with a contract, right, Boomer? I mean, it would make no sense.
2: Well, I I guess some of it comes down to what actually happens this season. If we win two games, is he on the hot seat? And turns out there's some horrible scandal of some sort. Yeah, well, yeah, anybody's on the hot seat at that point. Some of it is the financial end of it. You don't want to since we just assumed this kind of another two years where, you know, we haven't quite approached Kirk Farron's territory where he's guaranteed a contract through like 2047, but you know, there's monetary aspects you have to consider of it. I think Nebraska fans are willing to be patient with, with Frost just because they know what he kind of walked into and it wasn't a great scenario. And being a Nebraska player, he's got a little longer leash than another coach would have. So I'd be hard pressed to say he's on the hot seat unless something you know, oh, catastrophic boom, happens.
0: Boomer, time. I feel like Dave threw you a softball and you just turned that into a weird answer. No, he's not on the hot seat. It's stupid. It, it, he's not no, even close he's not to on, the hot on seat. a
2: hot seat going into the season. But again, if something weird were to happen, then maybe
0: sure. Right, well, first off, if you want to talk about weird things happening, think of this: Frost is going to year five as a head coach, and this is the fourth out of five years that the schedule that was set. Isn't going to be the same schedule for him. He's had right, two yeah. hurricanes. He's had an Akron game, and then he's had whatever the hell is going to happen out of COVID, which arguably affects everybody equally. I'm not. It does. I'm not yeah. saying this as a, as a a frost thing, but like he's only had one season. That actually played out the way it was supposed to in terms of the on the field schedule and everything, and that was a year ago.
2: It was clickbait from Dennis. I mean, it got everyone talking about it. That's what it was. I mean, let's be honest. I mean Yeah.
3: I'm gonna jump in here and say that's the stupidest thing I've heard in a very long time when it comes to college <laughs> coaching. All right. And honky, you and I have disagreed on so many things when it comes to like philosophical football stuff, but we can agree sure. on this. The fact of the matter is is that Frost is not on the hot seat. All right? Riley who, I, I'm not gonna lie, I thought he was gonna be a great hire when, when he did because of his recruiting on the West Coast.
0: See, I disagree with you. Yeah. And
3: see, I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. And, <laughs> yes,
0: you were wrong.
3: <laughs> and, and, and Dave, I remember the conversation that you and I had when he was hired in the Giggling Grizzly in Denver, Colorado. Like, I remember yes. specifically when, what we were doing at that time moving on from that. It's a completely different program now, and he's still rebuilding. And this is technically year two of a rebuilding because he's trying to bring in players. And yeah, it's his third year coaching, but I call it year two of rebuilding. And there is nobody in their right mind in the college ranks that would sit there and tell you that if you're going to try and rebuild a program that was basically not even built for the conference that you're playing in, they're crazy. They're stupid. They're dumb. And they don't even deserve a response when it comes to asking that sort of thing
1: it's interesting rob i'll just add to this just a little bit in the sense of like uh you know another thing that got a quite a bit of press this this week was colin cowherd had a take on nebraska football
0: yeah he's never wrong
1: yeah but i mean he's a national radio host yep uh does his own show and severe and benning was talking about this today they did a great job of it and a Severe was like, he did five minutes and 18 seconds on a irrelevant program, quote-unquote, right? You don't do five minutes and 18 seconds on an irrelevant program and making the point that it's a C-plus job or whatever, right? Like, whatever. You know that Nebraska fans are going to listen to this, and you're going get, to get clicks, for God's sakes. That's what Dennis Dodd did. Hey, in fairness, he's always kind of been a Nebraska
2: guy. He is. He pays attention. He's never been super down on the program. I, no. I don't think he doesn't like Iowa. No, he doesn't. Which which we can all accept and embrace. <laughs> I, I think his big thing is, are we a, a C or C plus job? I I don't know if it's that as much as that it's it's not an easy job and it's not suited for every coach because you know we've talked about this. We even talked about it today. You, you've got to be able to recruit nationally. You have to capture players Ugh. in state. You've got to have those relationships. I mean, it's it's not an easy job, but it's not
0: it's not a, it's not a terrible job. Boomer, boomer. This is such a dumb discussion. It, it is. It is in many ways. Yeah. It's such a dumb discussion because every program goes through ups and downs. They have their unique challenges there's a reason why usc was bad for 15 years or whatever it was prior to hiring carol and carol wasn't their their top guy he was their third options and all those things right every school goes through all this stuff and then when you're when you're struggling everyone looks at all your challenges and they go well gosh you have to overcome all this stuff and you're a c program my goodness i don't even i don't even want to get into it it gets into all the 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 stuff about look we're a blue blood
1: the only reason I brought that up was what was Callan Coward is quoted in that five minutes of 18 seconds saying Scott Frost is a great coach. And so I just thought it was really interesting. So you got Colin saying Scott Frost is a great coach and then Dennis Dodd saying, oh, he's on the hot seat and might get fired. I mean, both of them were probably just looking for, for listeners and clicks. Right. And, uh, they know Nebraska fans give that. So let's end with that.
0: Yeah. Not everyone can just do a once every couple week one hour podcast. Sometimes you got to do three hours a day of five days a week of you got to get something out there, right? Let's move on to the next couple mailbag questions. I'm going to kind of group these together. This is from Tony Hayek and from Derek Horde, and they're both regarding the next season. And we talked about earlier, we playing ten games, eight games, twelve games, whatever. And both of these questions kind of revolve around that. Tony asked a question about, with conferences uh, seeming to go to a a conference-only schedule this year, would it be a perfect time to mandate a minimum nine conference game schedule and also get rid of bowl games and increase the playoffs to eight teams where there's P5 champs, group of five champs, and two largest? I hate this discussion, so it only makes sense to hand this over to Boomer and Dave and let you guys you know, talk about how we're going to change everything. Nothing against you, Tony. We love you. You've been listening to us. I hate your question, but I'm going to hand it to, to Boomer, and I'm sure he'll talk for 18 minutes.
2: Well, I, I could, honky. I'll, I'll spare the 18-minute uh, rant on this that I could provide, but uh, I would tend to agree with Tony on this. I mean... I think this whole scenario is probably going to spur some change. We could probably talk about this on a later show. What it what it's going to do with the uh, group of fives, FCSs, and the relationship with the Power Five schools. And when you see the Power Five switching to a you know, primarily an all conference schedule, we've seen that the conferences themselves struggle with what they're going to do with uh, schedules. Whether it's you know the the, the Pac twelve, Big Ten, we're going to play all conference stuff, and we're going to. Play conference games. You've seen the SEC trying to figure out how can we still play 12 FCS schools and a couple of Sunbelt teams or whatever it is. You know, people like Stuart Mandel making fun of the SEC. It's you know, you guys can play nine conference games. It is possible. It can be done, and and it can be. And I honestly think we're probably going to see that kind of being the thing in the future of what we're going to see of of the Power Five schools. You know, people have talked in the past. Are we going to eventually see the Power Fives kind of break off into their own kind of division of the NCAA? This might be the thing that does it. There's positives and, you know, negatives to it. I mean, you've got all the, the Group of Fives, the FCSs that are that are going to suffer from the, the fact they don't get the, the the money from the the Power of Five schools. That's right, Boomer, yep. And that's not going to happen this year. We've already embraced that from the Big Ten level, and we would think of all the Mac schools that the Big Ten normally plays. The millions of dollars they're going to miss, that's not coming back this year. Next year, it's still up in the air, who knows, and...
1: Yeah, no, I, I think you're on the right track. I mean, there could be fundamental shifts here in the college landscape, in college football in particular. Um, it's hard to predict exactly it, but, um, you know, you're seeing the idea of an all power five schedule here for the Big Ten and, and Pac 12, and, and that's just one year, sure, but it, it could not, if you prove it out, um, that could change a lot of things, right? And if you, um, you know, the TV money, If, you know, the reason they want to go to 10 games at least, I think, this year in particular is the fact that you then have, I think, you'd have 70 conference games. Typically, you'd only have 63, Um, and that extra seven conference games between a Power 5 and a Power 5, because we're in the Big Ten, makes up for... The probably seven marquee non-conference games. And so you just filled in your inventory, right? Well, I mean, that will pique the interest of uh, the TV uh, media folks to saying, hey, you know, let's have more Power 5 versus Power 5. It's going to be more valuable, right? Yeah, Absolutely. Because even if you think about it from like Nebraska's perspective,
2: if you're talking about how do we get TV money out of this, what are what are TV executives going to want to see? Is it Nebraska versus South Dakota State, or is it Nebraska playing even if it's Rutgers or Purdue or Indiana? What, what's a more valuable thing for them to put on TV? What are they willing to pay more for? I mean, it's clearly that matchup with a power of five, so I think yep. it's just going to spur more of that going forward.
0: Agreed. All right. I'll, I'll bite my lip on this because, you know, you guys are big, dumb, stupid heads talking about this. But I, you know what? I actually, that was a fair argument there and, and uh, a, a very good question there from Tony. Uh, the Derek uh, question that he had, and I'm going to start with Rob on this and we'll go around is if the regional schedule happens, what is the one 500 mile radius game you want to see scheduled?
3: oklahoma good call rob oklahoma is a game that that i would love to to see happen again because that's actually a rivalry
1: we'd just be moving it up one year because we start in 2021 here so well you're right
3: yeah yeah i mean yeah we have a home and away with them coming up really soon but yeah moving it up one year but why moving up one year let's go the next three years let's go the next 20 years with oklahoma
1: good call i would agree dave yeah yeah you know, this is that this is in your wheelhouse hunky. you think about this stuff a lot i Oklahoma probably would have been my choice. I'll uh, I'll go a little bit on the the old Big Eight ride as well, though. Missouri, that, that could be fun.
0: Yeah, and it'd be cool to get an SEC team in that regard because then you get some comparison, right? You know, it, Missouri goes out there and well, they're going to lose all their SEC games, but you know they they play <laughs> they play Georgia within twenty and lose us by twenty one. We can go ha, yeah. we're one better than Georgia. It'd be a good
1: measuring stick, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Boomer, how about you?
2: Are we just talking non-conference opponents here? Is this just what team within 500 miles we want to play here? I guess
0: it wouldn't be any fun to say a conference team because we just assume we're playing those guys that are in 500 miles. So pick a 500-mile radius team that's not in the conference.
2: (sighs) Yeah, I'm I'm just trying to pick somebody a little different. I mean, Oklahoma's the obvious choice. Missouri would have normally been my fallback. Yeah, you know, I'm just trying to think of just someone a little different that's close. Why don't we play Arkansas? That's what three or four hundred miles. Yeah,
1: no, that would be within the radius. SEC sure. team, a long-term
2: team. Do we have a big history with them? I don't think so, but you know,
3: why not? Let's let's do something a little different there. That'd be actually a fun one because Arkansas sucks right now. Of course they do. Let's let's beat an yeah. SEC
2: West team for a while. It's it's a good opportunity. So why not? Let's let's try something a little different there.
0: For me, I'm just going to select because you know producer Skip uh, is a big uh, Colorado State fan. The Rams. Uh, we've we've tried the Buffaloes the last couple of years. Let's do something different out of, out of uh, the Centennial State. Let's pick Colorado State. Let's beat them up. We've got Lubick here. He knows all about them. So let's take care of the Rams. Get an extra victory in and. Yeah, we play Patrick O'Brien with that one too. There you go, and we've we even got a couple guys from there, a couple players that have transferred from their back here that were Nebraska kids. So let's move on. Richard Fitzwell, and we we love Richard. He just sent us a ton of questions. Uh, he goes that the sky is blue, the grass is green, and Iowa is garbage. What is <laughs> Adrian Martinez's offensive production this season? So,
1: <laughs> Dave. Well, I mean, I think you'd like to see. Well, it's a, this is a tough one just because of the potential shortened season right we only have 10 games opposed to 12 so in my head I was just thinking of a 12 game so I would say if he got back to around 2,600 yards of passing probably oh 500 to 600 rushing I'd love to see his TDs be really high you know really great TD INT ratio maybe maybe um you know 30 total TDs something like that that'd be great
0: Rob, what do you think?
3: So my opinion on Martinez like what is going to be a productive season for him? i'm I'm gonna say anywhere from somewhere between a two to one to a three to one touchdown to interception ratio. I really do not want to see him throwing the number of interceptions that he threw last year because a lot of those interceptions were just desperate throws that ended up in the opponent's hands.
0: Okay, that's fair. Let's move on in the mailbag to to Brewmaster Bill. We love the guy. He asked a question about, like, right now on Fox Sports 1, they're showing the World Arm Wrestling League. He said if the if the Go Big Redcast had an unusual sports segment, uh, this should be highlighted, and the championship trophy should look like Thor's hammer, right? <laughs> well, uh, I'm not really sure if there's a question yeah, there. Mark, but,
1: look, I, let me take over here. I, I think Bill's point here is there's a lot of odd sports on TV right now. Yeah, and, I agree. Uh, you know, the Redcasters uh, actually have been embracing some of those odd sports, um, namely the AFL in particular, uh, Australian Rules Football. Rob and I have been uh, winning and, and losing some with uh, Aussie Rules Football on Friday and Saturday nights. On uh, I think it's on Fox Sports. And Boomer, you've been following uh, Aussie Rules for years. You're a big St. Kilda fan, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. And and that kind of ties in nicely with uh, most of my uh, teams that I root for, that they tend to do poorly. So, yeah, that's if you're in the AFL, just watch St. Kilda. They're good for about a win or two, then they're going to just completely implode. But uh, part of the fun of rooting for them and go Saints. So that's what we're here yeah. for.
1: You know, I, I think Aussie Rules football, Rob, is, is entertaining um, and uh, it's uh, something to watch
3: and uh, lose money on, right? absolutely like uh i have been (laughs) it's funny that you bring that up the um i am doing a lot of parlays on australia
1: always a good strategy
3: (laughs) yeah and i really don't know much about it but um these spreads are kind of driving me up the wall same with uh english premier league football the arm wrestling that bill asked about i kind of feel connected to that because i told him that i was from petaluma california Wrestling Championships actually originated in Petaluma, California from a writer for what was called the Argus Courier back in, oh god, it was a long time ago, I can't even remember. Uh, A gentleman by the name of Bill Sobranes who would write about the wrist wrestling championships uh, back in the day. And he died in 2003, and there's actually a statue in my hometown of Petaluma, California, where the wrist wrestling championships were held. there you go. They were held at the Veterans Memorial Building out there. Um, Before my parents moved out here to California, they actually lived about, I don't know, six or seven blocks from the Veterans Memorial. And the whole movie over the top with Sylvester Stallone, There's there are scenes in that movie that were filmed at the wrist wrestling championships in Petaluma, California. There we go. Yeah, and there is the Rob Steinberg name-dropping segment of the Go Big uh, Red cast right there. It's
0: Dave. tradition, folks. <laughs> All right. Well, Dave, let's move on to parting shots. All right. Let's start with you, Honk. Take it away. All right um, as I mentioned at the start we're now over 11,500 followers on uh, social media uh, Redcast nations growing. Uh, part of that is that we just went over 500 on Instagram which is kind of interesting because we're just we're old dudes and we don't really know much about that but you know what we got 500 followers and it doesn't sound like much, but I think that's pretty cool. Um, we're still trying to figure this thing out but Redcasters if you're still listening right now, immediately go to your Instagram account. Assuming you have one, and uh, give us a follow. We're uh, Instagram at GoBigRedcast. So, uh, you know, all the cool kids are doing that. Uh, Speaking of cool kids, they also go to, you know, iTunes or whatever the devil, uh, you know, podcasting platform they listen to us on. They give us a five star rating. Please do that. Uh, You know, we appreciate that every time. And the last thing I want to say is uh, congrats to Millard South quarterback T.J. Urban, uh, who committed to play uh, for Air Force uh, over offers from Wyoming, South Dakota State, and interest from other schools like Fresno, Nevada, Utah State. It is, again, I don't care if you're going P5 or not, none of that matters to me. In-state, it is so great to see so many in-state kids getting recognized and getting offered. And so whether a kid comes to Nebraska to walk on, doesn't, if a kid's going out there playing football, getting scholarship offers, playing at Air Force, all that, I mean, there's talent in this state, and I I see coaches coming in here and recognizing it. I love it.
1: All right, good stuff. Uh, Rob, what do you got for me?
3: First of all, I'd like to thank Omar Remanding for following us on Twitter tonight. Um, I'd like to think that I had a part in that. Secondly, drink good scotch. My lord, what is wrong with you people?
1: All right. Uh, Boomer will definitely do that. What else do you got for me, Boomer. Well,
2: I'm okay with just drinking any good liquor, really. I mean, just doesn't have to be scotch. If you're a gin or a vodka aficionado, please just help yourself to so whatever's delicious out there. Uh, yeah, a few other things, just please keep yourself safe out there, whatever it takes, to make sure we get sports played this fall. You know, please make sure that happens, guys, because you don't want to listen to us drone on about random things the next three or four months, do you? I mean, no, you don't want to do that, so please... Take the, take the appropriate steps. Keep yourselves safe. Let's get any sort of pandemic numbers down, and, and let's get this thing under control, and uh, let's see some actual sports played this fall.
1: Absolutely. All right. Good talking to you guys. Enjoy the conversation. Looking forward to another Redcast here soon. For now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast.
4: GBR.